So thank you for tuning in to our podcast here today. This is podcast number three from Swarp. Today I have Matt Davis here with us. We're just going to chat about uh, some of the updates that came out on May 6th and then also uh, discuss a little bit about some of the challenges with patching that has been going on. Some of it long term, but a lot of it's sort of the more recent experiences where people are wearing multiple layers of PPE that adds an additional uh, complication to the whole situation. So anything to add, Matt, or for our intro here today? No, the important part is the treatment considerations document released on May 6th, as you said, and uh, it's a, a new format, new look, so it may appear that there's a lot of change in it, but there's not a lot of change, but we will go over those changes buried within it. Okay, Matt, I understand there's been some changes to the considerations for paramedics managing patients during the COVID-19 pandemic as of a May 6th update. Do you want to go through some of the sort of the format and look changes of that? Sure. So the fourth iteration uh, now contains a table of contents. This is designed to help paramedics access the information uh, in a bit more uh, clear fashion. There's been some language changes as well to help add to clarity. Uh, and the treatment considerations document has been broken down into three sections. Part A, the ALS-PCS medical directives with COVID-19 treatments. Part B, additional COVID-19 treatment considerations. And then Part C, infection and prevention and control. We've also added in a reference section as well to the document to assist with paramedics who may want to go back to some of the resources or evidence that's used for the, the treatment considerations document. Okay, what, what was the, the reason for bringing about some of these changes? The treatment recommendations now align with the Ontario Agency for Health Protection and Promotion, otherwise known as Public Health Ontario guidelines. Although there's some language changes to assist with clarity, there's very few changes related to the actual practice and treatment considerations. The changes that are there are only minor and really shouldn't have a, a very huge impact in terms of you know trying to wrap your head around what does this actually mean. Okay, and in terms of content changes, can you highlight some of the clinical treatment considerations? Absolutely. So on page three, there's some wording. When an SGA is used, the gastric slash suction port should be occluded prior to insertion. Although this is new within the memo, this isn't new teaching for our paramedics here in the Southwest. We have previously covered this in a SWARP tip of the week, as well as in the SWARP podcast number two, which has been blasted out on social media and is housed on our website. So please review this on the SWARP website for more information regarding the gastric suction port being covered. In essence, because of that port, the SGA may be considered an open system. So basically, in terms of rectifying that problem, just add some tape over top of that gastric port to occlude it so that uh, potential air cannot escape from that area. Okay, and now there's some changes in terms of manual ventilation and spontaneously breathing patients as well. So on page four, there's wording, withholding manual ventilation in any spontaneously breathing patient unless severe hypoxia, which is defined as an SpO2 less than 85%, is not improving with other therapies. So in essence, what is old is new again. So we've almost come full circle on this one with some caveats. So you may remember the first treatment considerations document would have some language around that's very similar. However, with this document, it's a bit different in the fact that manual ventilation with a BVM is permitted if other therapies have not resulted in adequate oxygenation and the patient's SpO2 is less than 85% despite these treatments. 
For instance, a patient comes in, you're using a high concentration oxygen via the Flow2Max, Hiox, or Tavish non-rebreather. Despite your BLS maneuvers, their SATs are still in the 70s. At that point, then ventilating the patient with the BVM is now permitted. Okay. And there's a couple other changes uh, mainly to do with oxygen flow rates. Could you review those for us, please? So oxygen flow rates have been uh, a very controversial subject or, or kind of gray area in terms of what's considered an AGMP and what is not. So we our treatment consideration document now aligns with PHO, the Public Health Ontario guidelines, which now recommend that using a maximum of six liters per minute of oxygen via nasal cannula. And this was changed from five liters per minute. So not a, a major change, just a minor one that is now in keeping with, with the PHO guidelines. Okay. The other change there on page five as well is avoiding oxygen delivery rates greater than or equal to 16 liters per minute via non-rebreather mask or BVM. When what this is stating is that oxygen flow rates should not exceed 15 liters per minute. So 15 liters per minute should be the maximum amount of oxygen flow on any type of mask or BVM being used. And now this aligns with the PHO guidelines, which no longer consider this flow rate of you know 8, 10, 12 liters per minute to be considered an AGMP. Now, do any of these guidelines changes result in any SWARP recommendation changes? In essence, Sean, no. Our treatment recommendations or our recommendations that we're giving the education around this has not changed. For patients that require higher flows of oxygen than can what be delivered by nasal cannula, SWARP recommends using the high concentration, low flow masks as the preferred oxygen delivery system. So these are your flow two masks, flow two max masks, your high ox mask, and the Tavish non-rebreather. What we recommend or what our education has been is start at the lower flow rates and titrate up as required to obtain adequate oxygenation, but now do not exceed 15 liters per minute. These high concentration, low flow masks have built-in viral filters and are considered to be a closed system. As such, they're thought to reduce potential for viral transmission when compared to a non-rebreather face mask, which does not have the viral filter. So we suggest using only the 100% non-rebreather mask if the stock of these high concentration low flow masks is depleted or for whatever reason that high concentration low flow mask is not available. When it comes to manual ventilation with the BVM, again, do not exceed 15 liters per minute of flow and we recommend using the lowest flow rate that allows for the reservoir bag to be filled. So at the end of the day, our treatment recommendations really remain unchanged despite these these changes within the document. Okay, that's very helpful to know, Matt. Thank you. Now, there are some other changes in the document, particularly around documentation and basically some non-changes regarding certain bypass protocols. Included in the document now on page five is a section devoted to STEMI hospital bypass protocol. Really, this does not change any of the care delivered here in the Southwest. This is the practice that should be occurring in, in the Southwest. Patients with chest pain and an ECG in keeping with an ST elevation MI uh, should be going to the PCI center with that transmission of that ECG to the centers that require the ECG as part of their STEMI bypass protocol. In essence, if the patient is not having chest pain, then these patients need to go to the closest emergency department, which has been our system all along. 
Uh, on page six, there is some wording around documentation. And this just basically outlines that on the ACR, just document any clinical findings and the circumstance of if any care where the paramedic does not apply the current patient care standards and or considerations within this document during the COVID-19 pandemic. Also contained within, within the document is some wording around patching and really it's the status quo. Patch physicians are always available for paramedics 24-7 if they have any concerns about uh, patient care or what patient care they should be using, then the patch physician is always available to help assist with any decisions. So that's actually kind of a good maybe uh, segue into sort of the next sort of topic that I think we're going to cover a little bit. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about some of the patching issues that seem to have arisen over the past little while. Um, What sort of concerns have been raised about the quality of patches given the PPE that paramedics are now required to wear? So we've actually had concerns raised both from paramedics as well as our patch physicians here in the Southwest because of that PPA that both parties are, are now wear, wearing and the difficulties that we're encountering because of the muffling of voices with that PPE on. Prior to the pandemic, we've recognized that the technology that allows for the calls to be diverted to hospitals and recorded by the CAC results in signal degradation prior to the pandemic. So we've had issues with sometimes understanding one another on these patch calls. Now add in the layer of PPE and there's another layer which takes away from that ability to potentially communicate or be heard. So we've covered some of these recommendations in the SWARP memo April 29th, 2020 that can be found on our website as well as social media. Yeah, that's great, Matt. I think everyone has noticed there's been some additional challenges with all the PPE in terms of patching and and clear communication, so that's helpful to know. I guess the question then that would come up is, so if as a paramedic, if you're struggling to be heard or can't hear the BHP on the patch, what what sort of suggestions do you have for that situation? So yeah, we would deem this a patch failure. We'd recommend that the paramedics document as such that uh, unable to hear base hospital physician or uh, base hospital physician unable to hear paramedic. We'd ask that you also report this on our communication line on our website as well to let us know that this has occurred. We do have to report these uh, patch failures to the field office within 48 hours of notification. And the more examples we have of uh, problems with our system, the more evidence we have to use to help change that system. So then if these sorts of changes and these patch failures are occurring, you're out in the field, you're trying to get a patch or something, but it's not getting through, you can't hear properly, what, what, what should the paramedics do in this case? So the ALS-PCS preamble speaks to this, and in the event of a patch failure, paramedics are to proceed with the treatment as outlined within that medical directive. Uh, document again document that a patch failure has occurred and we are also instructing our patch physicians to document this on their end as well that they were unable to hear the paramedic or it appeared that the paramedic was unable to hear them and to document on their documentation that a patch failure has occurred okay and any sort of potential additional downsides to taking this approach so the one thing that you have to take into consideration is the the tours for our PCPs and the mandatory patch point for uh, ACPs when it comes to the medical cardiac arrest directive. If a patch failure occurs at any of these points, the default would be to follow the medical directive, which states that these patients would require transport to the closest emergency department. So we recognize that 
there may be instances where the resuscitation is futile in these cases and a patch failure has occurred. So what we ask our paramedics is that if their clinical judgment deems that the patch physician is likely going to grant a tour or a pronouncement for the ACPs, then to remove yourself from that scene, be in a safe area away from any AGMP, uh, doff properly and proceed with the patch. Perfect. And I guess the sort of the last sort of question, knowing that there's been sort of challenges with patching over the years and we're constantly tracking and reporting it, now the additional challenges with the COVID situation, are there any sort of long-term solutions that SWARP is considering and looking into? Yeah, some, some long-term solutions, but also some words of advice in terms of the short-term solutions or, or what we can do, you know, starting tomorrow is... We understand that communication failure uh, can be frustrating both for paramedics and for that patch physician. Our word of advice is do not remove your PPE in order to help alleviate that communication breakdown. It may be your instinct to do so. You know, if someone's saying, sorry, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, the instinct may be to remove that mask so that you can communicate properly. But we don't want you putting yourself at risk, your health at risk, by uh, doffing improperly. So don't remove your PPA in order to communicate better. If it's a patch failure, it's a patch failure and document as such. Another thing that we've been looking at here in the Southwest is a centralized patching model whereby we have a patch physician who is taking all the patches in the region. Uh, so currently in our system, we have multiple patch sites across the region whereby emergency physicians are taken away from patient care in order to answer these patches. So one idea is a centralized patch system having a dedicated physician taking all the patches in, in the region. Of course, this is a change in a system there's a lot of things that would have to be changed, some barriers, including technology and trying to figure out a technological solution for this that is you know, still in, in keeping with all the legislation, privacy approved by the ministry, as well as the resources uh, in order to have a centralized patch system. So some logistics that we are currently working through right now. Uh, so that may be one long-term solution. Okay, Matt, thank you so much. That's great. I think it's really helpful to cover some of the changes that have happened in terms of recent updates as of May 6th, and also a bit of a discussion about some of the challenges and perhaps frustrations that people are experiencing in terms of the patching situation. We're going to sign off there today. Just want to say thank you for tuning in. Uh, as we are always saying, we're constantly trying to improve and make baby steps towards the Rogan experience as best as possible. But that's a shout out to one particular medic who had a very uh, helpful comment in, uh, for feedback for us, which we found quite entertaining, but in a good way, I think. So anyway, stay safe out there, Matt. Is there anything else you want to add before we sign off here? Or? Uh, new microphones are on order. They should Correct. be arriving hopefully soon. I know delays in, because of the, the pandemic in terms of getting equipment out there, but hopefully they come sooner rather than later. So podcast number four may have even better sound than podcast one through three awesome okay thanks guys take care